I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. And then when you asked me, you know, in the, if you'd asked me six months ago, I might have thought, oh, no, I don't really, you know, I don't need to do that. When you asked me, I was like, somebody, somebody else, <laughs> somebody cares. Picture your life as a four burner stovetop. One burner represents your family, one is your friends, the third, your health, and the fourth, career. Now, if you have them all going at once, you're going to burn out. So in order to be successful, you need to turn one off. If you want to be super successful, they say turn off two. My name is Josh Earl, and by the end of this podcast, we'll see which ones are being left on and which ones are getting turned off. This is Four Burners. Hello and welcome to Four Burners. My name is Josh Earl and joining me today, very special guest, comedian, writer, riverboat dandy. Riverboat dandy. <laughs> Please welcome, it's Greg Fleet everyone, yay. Yahoo, brother. Hey buddy, how you Hi. doing? I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm very uh, very happy to be here. I normally start the show by saying uh, to the listener how, how long we've kind of known each other. I was thinking it's probably close to 20 years, wouldn't be 20 years yet. I reckon it was the mm. 2004... Hobart Comedy Festival. I first met you. Was that we did, we met there? We first. met there first because it was the big gala, I'd say. And yeah. I, I I moved across to Melbourne that year, so I met you there as and, well. And I think you and um, the, the bedroom, bedroom philosopher, philosopher were yeah. like the the big noise in Hobart. You were the the two sort of big. Yeah, and then the next year Hannah came and and started being very noisy around there. Hannah Gadsby. Did she just? Did she get a rep there or did she just come straight here? No, she did the Hobart Comedy Festival. I, I'm kind of embarrassed about how I kind of treated her backstage in terms of like going, all right, well, this is the running order and uh, your, your time's here and like you just wait until the person's on. Like, I really... I really mansplained comedy to her. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you grab her in passion. Yeah, but, but she, I, I, I have since apologised about that and, and that, she was that's fine. That's you was, do. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's interesting because, you know, you, you indirectly bring her sexuality into it because I wonder if you'd feel as bad if it was just a, a, guy, just a guy or a hetero, you know, like, because you, that's how, that's what you do with a yeah. new comic because you go, this is how you do it. You yeah. Know, you wait here. And but then she went on stage and I saw how ma- how killed. amazing she was. I mean, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have really talk, baby talked her into this. But, uh, oh, but yeah. then again, you know, she probably didn't know the, the you know, the basic rules. She might yeah. be a genius comedian but yeah. still didn't know the, the ins and outs. Because apparently she'd been living in Adelaide, done a, a oh, gig, right. or, gig or two over there, then came down to Hobart uh, for like because she's from Tassie and visited family yeah, and thought right. there was the Hobart Comedy Festival. Craig Wellington, a good, yeah. a good man, he just got a phone call from her and went, yeah, I like how she, I like how she sounds. Great. And then uh, put her on without seeing her do stand-up. Well, and great. then and then she came over here and I think after that she did, yeah. But you, because I'd, I'd been a fan from a TV show called Something Hot Before Bed, which was, was filmed the, at the ESPY. Something Hot Before Bed. That would have been 96, yeah. I'd say, because I was year, year 10 in high school. Was that Marty Sheargold and Matt King Matt and King, I yeah. doing sketches? Was it New Joke City? Is that what you yeah, were called? Yeah. yeah. And it was like one you did a parody of uh, the um, Things of Stone and Wood song, Happy Birthday, Helen. But Happy Birthday, was, Barry. That was Which it. Which I wish yeah. I could remember the lyrics to it because it was pretty funny. Yeah, I remember it being funny because I really liked uh, that song as it's well. Sort of original, yeah. That's the thing I think if you're going to do, you know, you're a musical comic, if you're going to do a parody of a song, it actually helps if you like the yes. song. 
Yeah, you know, I agree. You don't hang shit on it and destroy it. You just use it as a basis, yeah. you know, because it, it, it was a great song. And I remember you also did a sketch Happy where... birthday, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one line was that, that bloke who says Oyand. <laughs> yeah, but I think that was in the real song. Oh, um, was it? In okay. the lift. Um, we got stuck in the lift with that bloke who says Oyand. And I Big. think it was... Um, uh, the footy player who played for Geelong and Melbourne, the full four. Oh, Mark Jackson. Yeah. Mark Jackson. Yeah. Great. I think because he used to, he said like Oyam or, you know, yeah. I don't know. But I, I don't know. I always imagined the lead singer of Things of Stone and Wood and his partner getting stuck in a lift with Mark Jackson <laughs> and I, that's how I want it to be. <laughs> I don't, if you know the truth, don't ring in and, t- and correct me. But I remember there was uh, – I watched that show and what, what I liked about that show, Something Hot Before Bed, was there were – Great comics like yourself, Matt yeah. King, Marty Sheargold. Uh, who else was on that? I can't remember who else was on it. I remember Marty Sheargold, but he did the bit about um, going to the zoo and uh, That's laughing. His, his his one bit of stand-up, yeah. his four, hot four and a half we used to call it. And But then it was also people who weren't the very good. And it was oh, good yeah. to see someone who, like me, who wanted to do comedy, didn't know how to do comedy, yeah. seeing people not very good at it, going, going oh, yeah. I, 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 I can do that. I might be able to do this, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good because yeah. I'm trying to remember the, the basis of that show. It was just a stand-up show at filmed at the ESPY. Was it hosted by one particular person? No, they, always they, different? Linda Gibson host one. Um, oh, I can't remember who. Like, there was always different hosts. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and then there'd be some sketches which Craig Wellington was in those sketches, him and John X. Well, they, they do sketches they, on it. They did little sketches. I shouldn't say little sketches. They yeah. did sketches. Um, yeah. And then I think that was just to break up the edit and cut it up. All oh, right, because we did, yeah, we did the same. And, and uh, he, obviously my, my um, drug taking will come into this clearly at some point. But I remember um, I was having a very much a uh, – uh, you know, and on again, you know, in the off again, on again yep. system. I was very much on again during the making of that show and there was one particular episode where, and if you take heroin, you nod off sometimes, which is, you know, just you sit there and you go, you know, you just fall asleep and you go and you wake up again. You're like, no, no, I'm fine. <laughs> and, and I did it on the show. Yeah. And to the point where, and I thought, oh, I think I got away with that, you know, like, and uh, Marty Sheargold's mother rang up and went, What's wrong with Greg? And I just thought, oh my god, like this is, this is like way public now. Yeah. <laughs> this is not something I'm hiding. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I can't remember. But I remember we had some great sketches. There's one set in an art gallery that I, I remember remember that one. And the audience were was the painting. That's the I've used that in a play since then. I think yeah. I used it in two plays. That joke. Yeah. So great. The joke being. Um, uh, you walk around looking at paintings on stage, you know, and you can either have paintings or not. It's up to you. Yeah. And, uh, and then somebody turns around and looks at the audience and goes, oh, my God, this one's amazing. Anyway, yeah. So, and, you know, what do you call this one? Oh, I call it the audience. You know, <laughs> gets a bit of a laugh. And then, um, oh, you know, and the person's walking along, you know, looking at the painting and you get lots of jokes and they're like, oh, you know, I really love it. You go, I don't know, some of the faces are a bit shit. And you yeah. know, <laughs> but then the, the great joke was uh, – you know what I love about it? And you'd sort of go, no, what? And everyone would be sort of concentrating. The person would be walking around, they go, so no matter where you go in the room, the eyes just seem to follow you. And it's just like, yeah, because yeah. of course they are. Yeah. And uh, it was such a, it's just such a great joke. So feel free to use it if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're going to talk uh, family, friends, health, career. You choose which one, Ooh. which the direction we're going in. So you can choose whichever one you talk about first. So we're going to use, we're going to do we'll, all We'll talk about all four. But okay. Yeah, um, whichever one you want to get through. What does it say them again? Family. Family, health, career, friends. 
Okay. Uh, family. All right, family. Okay. Let's talk about family, Greg. I've read your book, so I know about your family. Yep. And uh, it's, you know, there are no, and also, you know, as you probably know, but there's, there's nothing you can't ask me. There's nothing I'm going to get hurt or okay. upset by. Well, let's, let's talk about your family then. Uh, so you grew up in Geelong? Yeah, in America and then Geelong. America, like Geelong. America did tell us four. Ha, ha, so. how, many, how many siblings? Uh, two, one older. So yep. she's two years older and lives in um, Mullumbimby. Yep. Uh, but, and then one who's eight years younger. Um, who I was, I was very close with both of them growing up. I was very close with the one who was two years older when we were, you know, much younger. And then when my younger sister was born, once she got to be about five or six, um, I hung out with her a lot and played with her. And like, you know, and so whenever I'd come home from boarding school or whatever, you know, I'd, I really, we spent a lot of time together. So up until, you know, she was like 16 or something. Yep. Um, we had a really, a really close, you know, relationship. But, um, and I think she was born. I'm pretty sure, and I've talked to her about this. There's no, you know, secret. Um, I think my mother had her trying to get my father to stay. It was yeah. one of those things, you know, like you got two kids, and then why do you have another one eight years later? Yeah. You know, and uh, I think that was. Hang on, is she eight years or ten years to me? She might be ten years. I'm. No, no, my older sister is 10 years older yep. and I'm eight. Um, but, yeah, I think that was what the situation was there. My mother kind of thought maybe that would get him to stick around. And bow, bow. So, you, so your parents, quite volatile relationship? Or? Yeah, um, yes, yeah, yep. not physically. Yep. Not, not, uh, there was never any physical violence. As, no, there wasn't and I don't know if there was. Yep. Um, but uh, a lot of... A lot of fighting, a lot of arguing, and I, I remember there's a noise. I don't know if you remember in Peanuts cartoons, whenever the adults would talk, yeah. it'd be this like more, That's how I. It's this weird thing in my mind that it's how I remember my parents talking. It was this this squawk noise, this, and it was, you know, intense fighting. You know, like just because what I didn't know at that age was that my father was fucking heaps of different women, you yep. know, sleeping around, like just not a couple of times, but yep. like, you know, he slept with everyone and he was he's quite a sociopath. He slept with all his mates' wives and I'm not talking ex-wives or, you know, after they've split up or, you know, I'm talking like it didn't matter to him and uh, like all our neighbours. It was just crazy. Friends of mine from uh, school, their, yep. their parents. In fact, I, <laughs> I was doing when the my autobiography, whatever you call it, memoir came out. Um, I was doing Charlie Pickering's show on the ABC. What's that show? The Weekly? The Weekly, yep. I think, yeah. And uh, I was – he was interviewing me about it. And the interesting thing was most people um, were, you know, like if they wanted to talk to me about it were, you know, attracted to the drugs and, you yep. know, that was always like, oh, you know, scandalous. It, it was great because Charlie was really and, – and I think this is because Charlie comes from a very – dysfunctional family he was you know well i think the family that adopted him were very functional but yeah you know, he got adopted so um so he was interested in that so that was great we were talking about my father and, and all this the weird things that he did and uh, i was talking about him sleeping around and you know the, the kind of effect that had on, on you know because it was hundreds of women you know it's a lot and uh and then while I'm telling this story, I look up and the guy who's holding the boom mic, the guy who's the sound guy on the show, he had slept with that guy's mum. 
Oh, so I'm also telling the story and I'm looking at this guy thinking, oh, God, no. But uh, after the show I went up to him because I, I knew that he knew. Yeah. And I said, oh, is that weird? And he went, no, it's hilarious. So yeah. Thank God it was, you know, he was fine with You just head. get a boom dropped on your yeah, head. Exactly. Someone stormed out. <laughs> exactly. Oh, dear. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I, 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 knew, I knew way too many things about my father's sex life. It was kind of so what age did you go to boarding school? Uh, I went to... At that school, which was Geelong Grammar, which is a, you know, private school, um, from the very first moment I went to school, but I went, I was a day student yeah. um, up until Form 2 or Form 1. And then we moved from the junior school campus to the senior school campus, which was further away. But also as I moved to that campus, my family moved uh, about, 60 miles in the other direction. So kind of two things happened at once that put about, you know, 100 miles between. Yeah. And uh, so I started boarding then and uh, it wasn't, it was never one of those things of, you know, like, oh, I was sent to boarding school. Yeah. It, was, it was actually great because the majority of kids at that school were boarders and you wanted to be in the majority. As yeah. You, you know, as you know, with school you don't want to be stand out in any way. So um, I actually really liked it and I think also maybe because there'd been so much stress with them arguing and everything at home. Although by the time I went to the boarding school, um, the uh, the big thing had happened. So the I big thing. Be. Well, let's, oh, <laughs> yeah, do, we'll talk. let's let's talk yeah. about the big thing. Oh, then. yeah, but I just thought, you know, I won't say, you know, so no, we, can, no. we can build up. Oh, well, um, we, so um, the big thing was after he worked for Ford and that's why we came to Australia from we, we lived in uh, Detroit in Michigan yeah. and we uh, like uh, – like um, Eminem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what people say, Greg Fleet, the Australian yeah. Eminem. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I lived in uh, Four Mile, um, <laughs> which is a bit nicer than Eight Mile. But uh, we uh, we moved to, you know, F- Ford in, in obviously in Detroit and then Ford in Geelong, you know, Geelong, yep. that's where they used to make Fords. So we moved, he, you know, he was asked, do you want to move? And I think this is true. My parents, and I, you know, they're not horrible people or anything like that. They, they, they're both dead now, but they weren't horrible people. But I think they were both quite right wing. And uh, Michigan, Detroit especially, the year that we left Detroit, there were huge riots um, with uh, 1967, with uh, African-American people just going, hey, we've been treated pretty badly yeah. for a long time and they just cut loose. And uh, I think that when my parents were offered the chance to move to Australia, they saw it as a way of getting away from that yeah. um, because, you know, they thought, oh, you know, black people are going to get power. That would be terrible. And uh, and I've, I'm not positive about this, but I've got a feeling that um, the idea of Australia where the Indigenous population had been so dehumanised kind of appealed to them. Now, I might be wrong and I might be saying a terrible thing about people that I shouldn't say. So was that 1967? Yeah. So they ca- isn't that when we had the referendum here for yeah. Indigenous people to actually get the vote? Yeah. So your yeah. parents would have come in and went, oh, we, yeah, oh, we just, you know, <laughs> if we'd been here earlier, we could have voted against it. But... Um, um. So, the, yeah, so we came to Australia, but then, you know, he, he worked for Ford, um, slept with everyone's wives and all that kind of stuff, and uh, some people who probably weren't in relationships. Um, and then he went into business for himself. I don't know why he did that. Maybe he got in trouble at work. Maybe, yep. you know, he slept with his boss's partner. I don't know. But um, he went into business for himself, and that was initially very good, but then it went bad, and uh, he kind of screwed it up, lost it. Lost it completely. And um, 
then it, everything was going wrong. So, you know, he was, his business had gone wrong. Uh, his family life was a nightmare because he's, you know, fighting with his wife all the time. Um, and he, he, you know, everything was, was wrong. And he, one day he just uh, took his own life in that he, we didn't know this was coming, but he left his car on a pier. He left a note with his solicitor and uh, just said, sorry, you know, can't do it, blah, blah, blah. And um, he left me, which is so weird, he left me an air rifle, like a gun, uh, which I, you know, I liked, yeah. I wanted one, but he left me an air rifle with a note saying, you know, Greg, protect the family. And I was thinking, you're not protecting the family. You're, yeah. You're How old were you? Uh, ten. ten. Oh, so. Yeah, weird. Yeah. It was all weird. And, you know, kind of it was depressing and, and that's what I remember more than, than – um, anything was this sort of heavy, this weight of depression about the whole thing. And everyone was, you know, my sisters were devastated. My mother was devastated. Yeah. There was all these women around who were devastated. And I found out later a lot of my mother's friends who were devastated were devastated because he'd been sleeping with them. Oh. You know, so it was yeah. just this nightmare. And um, uh, so that was sad and, uh, you know, it took a while for us to even know that that had happened. My mother kind of eased yeah. us into that. Um so that's when I went to boarding school. But then a couple of years later, about, you know, two years, three years later, somebody saw him walking down the street in Melbourne and yeah. went, is that Bill Fleet? And uh, I, I guess followed him or something and uh, saw where he worked and told my mum. Oh, no, I couldn't have, it must have been, saw him in Frankston. But anyway, it turns out he was working as a real estate agent in Frankston. Now, I might get ready for the joke. Um, <laughs> You know, I know that, you know, working as a real estate agent in Frankston is like being dead, but it's not exactly the same. So uh, so that's what he'd been. He'd just pulled a Swifty. He just, yeah. he was amazing. Like but also sociopath. didn't move that far away either. No, although he I, did. I guess in he, the. He did. He'd gone all over the place, okay. but then strangely and kind of stupidly came back. And yep. maybe as time went on, you get, you just get comfortable and you know i think bank robbers do that too everyone you know you just start going oh i haven't been caught yeah yep. probably won't you know but um he had been to it's hard to know too because he lied so much but he told me and i think this is true he'd been to south africa he he had been in the green beret which is an american uh, military thing kind of like the sas yeah you know he'd been in that and uh, but then when vietnam started he kind of faked a breakdown to get out of having to go to a proper war. Yeah. And um, so but then he he told me that, you know, when he left he made himself available as a mercenary, which of course would really appeal to his whole James Bond kind of delusional thing. And uh, he, he went to South Africa. Now I wouldn't be at all surprised to find out that he was working uh, for the whites in South Africa suppressing black people. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Um, but... Um, I never found out exactly what he was doing there, but uh, he was apparently there. Uh, he went to various other places. I think he went back to the States for a little while. He ended up going to Queensland and uh, met a woman, uh, of course, and under a different name. He went under a false name and yep. married her and had a kid and um, just was living as a different guy, you know, and... Um, then when my mother and then he, her father owned a real estate company in Melbourne yep. and offered him a job and he took it. I don't know, maybe he was kind of caught out because, you know, he could go, you know, oh, no, I don't want a job. You yeah. know, I'll stay off here in Queensland. I mean, I don't know. But he, he uh, yes, he just thought he wouldn't get seen and he did. And um, 
but then as soon as my mother saw him and walked into his office, yeah, uh, which it would have been just horrendous. For That's him. the worst day of work <laughs> ever. <know. laughs> but he um, he immediately dumped the new family, which is you know horrible for them because I, I knew that feeling. Yeah, but I, he did that because I think my mother legally, you know. She could she could do worse stuff to him yep. than the new woman. So, you know, he's only looking after himself. He and he immediately, you know, kind of threw himself at my mother and uh, convinced her in a strange way to take him back. Yeah, and which she kind of did. But then uh, about a year later, he did it again. Although this time he didn't. He actually, I think, told us. I don't know, but he, he it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like oh, he's dead again. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, so he he left again. He left again. Yeah, but. Uh, um, and then, you know, for the rest of his life, he pretty much lived in the States. He did come back at one stage in 1984. He came back. I don't know what had happened and I don't know exactly why this was, but I think my mother was willing to have him back again, yep. which is just nuts. He came back and he was back for about six months or so. And, uh, he, when we first came to Australia on the plane on the way over here, he's so charming and he's so he was handsome and lovely. How they met, they were in first class on the way over here from America, and they met Lindsay Fox and yeah. his wife, and they were chatting on the plane. And Lindsay Fox is a very generous man. By the end of the flight, because they said, "Oh, we're going to find a house in Australia and do this and that," Lindsay Fox just took his keys out of his pocket and said, "Oh, you can live in this place. It's in, I think it was in Portsea," and. Uh, they didn't end up doing it, but what a generous yeah. thing to do. But he ended up getting a job with Lindsay Fox, you know, all these years later. And Lindsay Fox was, you know, a real working class, one of those guys who pulled himself up by his bootstraps and he yeah. kind of, he said, all right, well, you know, you can get a job driving a truck and, you know, you can work your way up. And he would have given him a fast track. But my father was probably too too up himself to kind of do that for long. So he kind of, you know, he didn't do that for very long. And, uh, yeah, he went. He went back to America, you know, met a couple of different women and rich women. He, he'd yeah. worked out that was the way to go. And that was the same with my mother. She was much better off than he was. Yeah. And um, just lived the rest of his life with these with these women. And uh, he was an actor for a while. He did he did a few different things. But he uh, he was strange. He did, you know, yeah, he, he, did, uh, he did strange things. When he came back to Australia for a little while, um, Bob Hawke had just got in. Yep. And, you know, Australia went with – even all my, you know, boarding school liberal voting friends were excited when Bob yep. Hawke got in. Everyone was like, you know, wow, yep. you know, he's got a world record for drinking beer. This is great. But he – my father said to me, yeah, it's a real shame you're living in this communist country, Greg. And I was just like, oh, you're such a dick. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and um, he died about five years ago. Weirdly – my mother and he died within about – he died and then – no, my mother died and then about four months later he died. But it was a real shame because I think my mother just desperately wanted to outlive him and she yeah. just missed out. But he uh, – when he died, I, I said to Lawrence Mooney, I said, oh, Jesus, Loz, um, I didn't tell you this, but the other day my my father died in America. And Loz, Loz went – are you sure? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not. In that when you're like 10 and it happens and your mum kind of hides it from you, was there mm. anyone you could talk to about it? I guess you talked to your older sister about it. but was I don't it, think we did. Yeah. I, don't, I think it was kind of so I, I remember walking around feeling this grey, heavy kind of, I guess, depression, you yeah. know, like just walking around just the world just seemed 
was, I think it was winter in Victoria, you know, just grim, you yeah. know, in, in the outskirts of Geelong. It was just, it wasn't, um, no, there wasn't really anyone to talk to about it, I don't think, and I, I don't think I ever did in hindsight. I don't think we were ever given, you know, these days you'd, you'd probably go to a shrink or something, yeah. you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. The school would go, all right, yeah. we better, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but there was, there was none of that, and um, I mean, my, you know, there were there were certain people who made an effort, you know, certain teachers and stuff who made an effort in hindsight to kind of to probably fulfil that role yeah. or whatever. But uh, unfortunately, I never got uh, I never got picked by any of those freaky yeah. men who 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 pick. Kids with without dads yeah. and go. Ah, oh, I don't know how to get my next victim. Did your did your mum see anyone after? As in, like, yeah. did she date people? Yeah, not yeah. for a long time, and then she did. She dated this surfer guy in Torquay because we lived in Torquay, and he was a, a guy who'd been one of the original kind of guys who discovered Bell's Beach, and you know, it was like a, you know, he was a surfy and he was he was a cool guy. Yeah, I can't remember his name. He was nice and he was a little bit sort of known in the surfing world. Yeah. Um, but then she dated a doctor um, who was the doctor in Torquay and they were always little, which is weird. They were always little guys. Nothing wrong with little men. No, don't <laughs> get me wrong. I'm a big fan. But uh, um, the the doctor, um, it turns out, was uh, an addict. He was um, a, a morphine and yeah. pethidine and all the stuff that a doctor can write scripts for for himself which apparently is quite common, I didn't mm. realise. But he eventually, he'd been caught I think once or twice in his career, but he eventually turned himself in and just said, look, I'm losing it, you know, and I'm doing this stuff. And they said to him, it was something like 60% of medical practitioners have some kind of self-prescription problem, you know. It doesn't mean they're all on morphine, but, no. you know, they'll do things like, you know, I've got a hangover, right, I'll get some Valium, you know, yeah. do whatever. So he, uh, he had, a you know, quite a... Big problem, and he was doing things like writing. You know, somebody's got cancer, so he'd write a script for them for you know X amount of morphine, and he'd take half of it. Yeah. Give them half. So he was you know nuts, and it's weird, you know, considering how I ended up that there was that you know that influence. But um, uh, yeah, he uh, that, yeah that was that was going on. So after your dad leaves the note saying, "Take take this, <laughs> take the gun, look after the family," yeah. did you feel any responsibility to? Fulfill that role? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think um, it was all just too, too nuts. And I don't think my mother would have, you know, she she wouldn't have wanted me to have, you know, to take on that. Yeah, that that's a heavy. Because my my uncle, my my grandfather died when he was thirty nine, wow. and my uh, uncle was with him. He was like eleven, twelve years old at oh, the time. Shit. He was with him when he died. When he died, yeah, they had a heart attack oh, and fuck. he said to him, now you're Jeez. the man of the house now. You're, as he's dying. As he's dying. Oh. And that just that birth, that oh, no way, on, yeah. on a child as well. And I, I get, look, you're dying. I'm, I'm not going to hold him like, go, oh, you shouldn't have said that. But it's that thing of like That's, the pressure you put on someone like yeah. that. But also you're worried about your family. All right, you look after the family now. Also, all the women in my on my mum's side of the family are the strongest women you'll ever meet. Like, yeah. like my uncle did, does not need to protect them. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, exactly. yeah. But it it is that thing of like I I th- even to this day like he's in his sixties like his sisters are in their sixties and fifties like they don't need protecting but he still will still if, feels if it. anything comes oh the family's everything we're gonna I'm gonna get in there wow. and protect them and so it's a yeah but that's interesting. Nice that didn't happen to you and that he felt like 
No. You know, didn't have that burden on your shoulder no, the whole and time. No, you asking me that, no one's ever asked me that before. It actually made me go, oh, am I a bit shit? No. <laughs> am I no, no. An, an idiot for not having done Did it? you have a role in the family? Like everyone seems to have a role in the family, like someone like lightens the mood or someone. Yeah, I think like, it would be that. that yeah, it would be the middle you know, child. Yes, exactly. Same, middle same child. Yeah. would be funny. Yeah, You've exactly. Keep. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> and also I was the only boy. Oh, okay, yeah, that yeah. does make a difference. So I got a, I got a pretty smooth ride. Yeah, so I only had boys in my family. Oh, really? Yeah, just just two brothers. So did, was there a lot of fighting? Yeah, between us, yes. One thing I always thought, I mean, later on, I thought I'd, I'd be a much better fighter if I'd had brothers. We did, but, and we had an unspoken rule, you don't punch people in the face. Oh, okay. We never punched it. I punched my younger brother once in the face and no then my word. older brother let me know you don't punch in the face. By punching you in the face? But yeah. Oh. Not, not in the face, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of fight and there was also my younger brother uh, was three years younger than me, five years younger than my older brother. And so that's a bit of an yeah. age gap and just wanted to be involved. Oh, right, and my older right. brother at certain points like, I fucking yeah. don't want to have a seven-year-old. And yeah. My, the, one of the greatest moments of our, our life, my brother, my younger brother had spent Days of his holidays building this Lego creation. Oh, no. And he showed it and he, and he just says to Jason, I bet you won't break it. And Jason's holding a football and went, all right, just threw it. It just explodes. <laughs> and and mum was like, Brenton, you did say. <laughs> Yeah. Like you did say, I bet you won't do it. Like, yeah. yeah. So you don't dare your no. brother, teenage brother, to do it. <laughs> Especially uh, my brother. All right. Uh, so we've got friends, career, health. Which one do you want to do now? Uh,. Probably health because I, I don't I, I don't think it'll be that interesting. But then again, it well, could be really interesting. I think it is interesting. So, would you say you're healthy? Mm. I'd say you're looking healthy now. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I am, and uh, especially you know with a lot of the things that I did and and uh, and stuff, and you know the amount of people I know who are dead, which is just phenomenal. And especially recently, like a friend of mine died uh, this today or yesterday. The, oh. One of the guys who was in the Gadfires. Oh really? Yeah, Sorry. John Jonathan Nix, who was oh. the original bass player, which yep. is a shame. But he, you know, not not from anything. He was a very healthy guy. He yep. was, had a brain tumor or something. So. Yeah. But um, no, I, I'm I'm actually yeah, I think I'm pretty healthy, and I've you know I have and still do go to the doctor fairly regularly. So they they've kept a. Uh, I think I've got high uh, cholesterol. Yep. But that's it. That's about the only thing. I don't have hepatitis or anything like that, which is amazing because yep. so many people I know did. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, anyone who kind of used any kind of IV drugs in the sort of 70s, 80s, into the 90s, you know, you're very fortunate if you don't end up with hep C from that. You know, yeah. I know so many people who, you know, did it once or twice. Like, you know, people like Helen Garner who, you know, she said she did it about four or five times and she ended up with, like, you know, hep C. And yeah. Stacks of people. But, yeah, I, I, I did have it. But there's something like uh, I think my doctor told me it's like, like 25% of people clear it from their system. Okay. So I was one of the lucky ones. Which yeah. Was great. But, no, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. Um, my sister... My older sister uh, grew up with severe asthma. So she was literally on her deathbed about oh, probably seven or eight times growing up. Yeah. You know, where, you know, they'd, we'd take her to hospital and they'd, you know, I remember I remember them really clearly once the nurses saying, oh, we, we moved her, her bed to under the window because, you know, we don't think she's going to make it through the night. And, you know, she wanted to look yeah. out the window and stuff like that. So it was like... Wow, but she um, somehow just 
smashed through it. And, um, you know, she still has to take, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, I don't know what exactly, cortisone and yeah. things, but, um, you know, she had a pump growing up, which I think these days it's all, it's probably a lot sim- more simple. But back then, you know, it was big, yeah, big electric gadgets you yeah. breathe in. And- my brother, my younger brother had asthma a lot oh, as right. well. But I think that was more, uh, we lived in a town where there was a pulp mill pumping black, smoke into the air oh, that's like a classic american yeah and there was also a paint picnic factory that just pumped out like poison into the ocean like you drive in and the ocean be orange be sue or something i don't know well he's fine it's amazing the pot mill closed down in like 89 90 and most kids in that town in bernie their asthma kind of got, got a lot better. better got a lot better wow. <laughs> yeah that's um that's like uh Kind of Appalachian, you know. That, yeah. That's Bernie would have been the place that they would have trialed um, OxyContin. Ah, oh, <laughs> absolutely. So it's funny though because Brenton had bad asthma, whereas Jason and I didn't. But Jason and I were the ones where Mum smoked all throughout her pregnancy with us. All oh, right. So we just got used to it. Yeah. Well, see, my mum, my mum and dad both smoked their heads off when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, I smoked from the age of like thirteen up until about three years ago when I started vaping. Yeah. And so I, I still vape, but it's so much, my breathing and everything's so much better than it was. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was just I was a massive smoker and, uh, you know, my mother and father both smoked. My mother stopped. I don't know what, how old she was when she stopped, but, um, you know, she was always on at me to stop. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Bernie... Yeah, that that kind of town, like you know, I, I'm obsessed with that. I got really obsessed with um, the whole OxyContin thing and the the Sackler family and all that yeah. stuff. Did you watch any of those? Shows? I haven't seen that. No, they're amazing. They were really well worth it. The one that's got Michael Keaton in it, yeah, is the best one. That's really amazing. Um, but just this family that just they basically. you know, reinvented heroin, put a different name yeah. on it, and launched it, and they they. They launched it in all the all the towns in America um, where there were people with work injuries, so mining towns, yep. lumber towns, you know, places like Bernie, like yeah. places where there's industry um, because there'd be a lot of people with, you know, sore backs or whatever. So, and, you know, like a lot of um, – but a lot of the people, all these – America never really worried about heroin or – opiates because it was a black or Hispanic, primarily black or Hispanic problem. You know, there was small amounts of, you know, obviously white people addicted as well. But, you know, America, you know, it's a black problem. They didn't really care. Um, But then suddenly, you know, 20 years ago, it started middle class white kids started and everyone's going, how can this be happening? And it was because, you know, they get a football injury at school, get put yeah. on OxyContin, and then after a while you can't afford OxyContin or you're not getting enough of it. So they started scoring heroin off yeah. the streets. And, you know, just it's crazy thing. And and uh, so this family, the Sackler family, basically just were peddling, you know, what amounts to heroin and, you know, made a huge amount of money. And these people... The Sackler family had their name all over the world, like on um, art galleries and yeah. museums and hospitals. And there's this one woman in America who's gone around, um, Nan Golden, I think is her name. She's gone around getting people to remove their name from from all these huge things. But um, amazing. It's an amazing, you know, yeah, if you get the chance, watch. The, one's called Painkiller. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the other one's called, but they're, they're incredible. There's a documentary and then there's the drama. They're both great. Yeah. yeah. All right. So... Uh 
your addiction. Mm-hmm. So when did it, when did you start using? Uh, started using heroin in 1982. So yep. I was I was 20. Yep. And was it just around at the party? Were, were you yeah. kind of always kind of drawn to it? Not always, but like when you heard of it, that oh, I might do that, or was it a oh that's around? People are doing it. These people seem cool. I think it. it was probably like that. Yeah, like that because um, it was a girlfriend I had, um, and but I'd already taken things like speed and uh, LSD, so I was obviously you know interested in trying those sort of things, but. Um, I do remember once her and her brother, you know, came around to my we, – we were sort of – we liked each other, she and I, and her and her brother came around to my house and said, oh, we're going to go score. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I was trying to be cool and everything. But it, it wasn't until like halfway – we were going from Carlton to St Kilda. It wasn't until we were like halfway there that I realised they meant heroin, not pot. Yeah. You know? So I had this kind of awkward I, – I think I told them. I think I went, what? Hang on, whoa. <laughs> and and uh, we had this, you know, long conversation and um, – I remember them saying it's better than – I said, what's it like? And they said it's better than sex. And uh, I used to say in the show that I did, well, if you mean sex with me, that's a great recommendation because <laughs> I wasn't exactly uh, – I wasn't there for a long time in those days. Um, but uh, so, yeah, and, and the other interesting thing was the first couple of times I had it, it wasn't that – it was a bit like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, but I just kept going, kept going until it was fantastic and then then it became impossible to stop. I mean, it also, it's also especially that era as well in St oh, Kilda was yeah, – it's all – Well, I, I – It was all the, you know, the birthday party and the yeah. boys next door. And I was reading about this kind of stuff in music magazines in oh. Tassie and it being almost romanticised. No, it was totally bit, like, Yeah, so it was like Nick Cave and yeah. all that kind of stuff and then even like, even in Paul Kelly's uh, A yep. to Z book he talks about he yeah. still uses but like it's under con- – in the book, it's like it's under control. I do it once every six months or so yeah. as a special treat, which I, just, I yeah. believe to be totally true. Yeah. With him. Um, the other thing is that that I I heard, and I, I'm sorry, I know Paul, and I also very very briefly met Nick, but um, I was friends with with other people, you know, in his in his bands and stuff. Yeah. Um, was that I heard from fairly reliable sources, and this makes really good sense that both of them were people who. And, you know, I was told it was still happening. This was 15 years ago, so, you know, whatever. But um, that they would use for a while, like, you know, maybe a month or two, yep. you know, and then they'd stop. And when you stop, it's difficult. It's not, you know, it's not impossible. It's not, you know, it, it's just you, you feel pre- you feel very shit for, you know, really it's over and the worst of it's over in a couple of days. But it's it's tough, you know, especially if, you know, you can just go get it yeah. and make it stop. But I was told that they would use for a while and then stop. And in you get really emotional when you're coming off it. You get, you know, all this. And I was told that that's when they wrote. Yep. They'd, they'd do it on purpose, that, that you'd, you'd get in this state and, you know, um, after the you know the first day or so, where you can hardly do anything except you know shit yourself and fall over. They'd they'd start writing and yep. you know get these great you know bursts of creativity and you know so yeah. I don't know you know I don't know if that's true or not, but I was also told that people used to be really shitty with Nick because Nick used to come back to Melbourne, and you know everyone in Melbourne would be like you know grim and on heroin and everything. And he'd come back and take heroin with everyone, and then he'd fly back to London and, you know, dry out and, you know, go and, and everyone in Melbourne would be stuck, you know, yeah. still on it. And, uh, yeah, so they used to be shitty at him for, for that. 
But um, I was I was good friends with Roland, who was in his band, who was a lovely guy and yeah. great musician and smart. I met Roland. His uh, girlfriend used to work at the Trades Hall behind the bar there. Oh, really? And he used oh. to drink at the Trades Hall. And uh, my first year doing the Comedy Festival was at Trades Hall when yeah. it was just me, Keating, and another show called uh, oh, wow. The Hell's Angels Bought Me Here. And oh, uh, I remember. Yeah, it was a good show. It was, it was about being a bikey or. Yeah, it was about getting. Uh, it was a play. So it was like he was locked up in the, um, in like a, just a cell, yeah. but like the, the bike, he's locked him up. And then. Oh, did they? So it was called. Because uh, it's Hell- based on. There was a song called Angels Brought Me yeah, Here. Yeah, Guy Sebastian. And so yeah. their show was called Hell's Angels Brought Me Here. And then on the third night, the Hell's Angels oh, turned up. Right. Yeah. And they were like, you can't you call your can't show this. And so it ended yeah. up being called The Angels Brought Me Here. And. Um, yeah, the guy, I forget his name. He's a great guy, but he was like very much yeah. every night going, uh, can you just check if there's anyone out there like who looks a bit menacing? I'm like, yeah. no one, because I was doing my show all playing a glockenspiel and all cute. <laughs> Cutesy. Yeah, and then, and then Keating was on in between, but, yeah, he's, he was I'm like, I'm trying yeah. to remember his name. I think it was like, it wasn't Cliffy, but it was something like that. Yeah. Oh, it was too. But it, anyway, was, it was a first name with the Y. Yeah, but there. Roland was at the bar and oh, okay. it was, he was drinking there and it was the thing of like, I don't get starstruck too often. Yeah. But seeing him in out of context as well it was like, yeah. oh shit, like, oh fuck. Oh. Yeah. Because I'd been talking to his girlfriend for like yeah. two weeks. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. now I'm, anyway, it was a great man, great, and a yeah, absolutely great musician. Listen oh, to great musician yeah. and, and a really decent human being, you know, like he was, a, of course, he was an addict, but I, I think he, um, he was quite moral. You know, he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't a crim, but um, that, uh, that thing of you know being just starstruck like that—it's—it's it's really interesting because I can—I've lived with, you know, famous people. I've known famous people. You know, I've lived with you know Ben Mendelsohn. I lived with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and you know people in London. And you know, I've I've met, you know, I've worked with, you know, Guy Pearce. You know, and I know really famous people. Um, and you know, if George Clooney walked in the door, I'd be. I'd be like, fuck, that's George Clooney. But I'd be like, George, you know, hi. Yeah. I'd shake his hand and I'd be like, it's so lovely to meet you and, you know, I really love what you do, blah, blah, blah. But if uh, certain musicians or AFL football players walked in the door, I would yeah. literally fall over and yeah. just start making noise. It's like I remember going to North Melbourne and doing this gig for, for Brent Harvey's um, record-breaking thing. Yeah. With, uh, it was me and um, uh, what's his name, big North Melbourne fan comic. Um, Tassie. Chris Franklin. Yeah, Franklin and I. And, uh, you know, I'm walking around and meeting all these. They're all like, you know, 19. Yeah. I mean, and the oldest one's probably 28. And I tr- I'm treating them all like they're my dad. Yeah. You know, you treat them like they're older than yep. you. And I was like 55. <laughs> Same thing. A few years ago I interviewed North Melbourne players for a thing that they were doing and uh, – I realised after the first interview, oh, you guys are all just private school boys. Like, yeah. And then the, their media manager was like, all oh, right, I've got – this is when Ben Brown still played. Oh, yeah. And Ben Brown I, was my favourite player. Me too. Yeah. And it was of that course, thing. Tazzy boy. Tazzy boy, yeah. But it was that thing the media manager got. So he's a bit of a different cat, mate. Like he's he's not going to really – do much and the, and then I talked to him and like oh you're you're the most normal out of all these guys right. just that that media manager is used to like the the teenagers kind of thing and right, like right. and he has a philosophy he's degree very smart. Yeah, yeah yeah big Doctor Who fan and yeah. so I was just kind of trying to talk to him about that he's he's also like into alternative music yeah and, you know I, I see like um you know Snapchat or you know on on the phone oh. and, you know you'd see him at some weird 
festival. Yeah. Oh, wow. He's a big Cat Empire fan, we found out. Yeah. Right, which yeah. Is, yeah. yeah that, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But he um, is he still playing for Melbourne? He's, yeah, I think so. Oh, I've, I've kind God, of, that was heartbreaking yeah, when he left. Yeah, it was. It's bad. I um, We're both North Melbourne supporters. So yeah, we yeah. are. We're both North Melbourne. But the, you know what? The I two. feel guilty. <laughs> I feel really guilty. Last year I literally gave up. Like I just went I'm, and I, I became obsessed with American football and yeah. I follow, I'm now following the Miami Dolphins really closely. But I wouldn't have been able to tell you which games they won or lost. I, well, it wasn't too many. I but I, I'm, I'm the same because I'm from Tassie, so I'm just waiting. When Tassie yes. gets a team, I'm like, yeah. I'll see who I support. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but mm. health though. Yes, yeah, sorry. N- nice. Clean now. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, as I, I'm, I'm so sick of lying about it and, you know, that was the thing. It was I got so many lies, you know, um, but yes, yeah, clean now. And and you know, I I won't say I would never do it again because yep. I think, you know, there could be times when I would. But it, it, the interesting thing is now I I really have no interest in it. It's not like I you know for the first time ever I'm not trying not to do it. Yeah, it's like oh god no, I couldn't be fucked doing that. Yeah, um, but it's you know it it's it cost me a lot. You know it. it uh, Career-wise, and then there's all this stuff with, oh god, all this career. I mean, yeah, I oh, will get onto it, but all this stuff with Bob and, yeah. oh god, you know, it was it, it it really backfired on me. You know, like I I was thought I think I just just thought people would forgive me forever. Well, this is my my theory about it. Like with any any addiction, it's like in your twenties, that's cool. Yeah. 30s, oh, okay, this person. Yeah, 40s, like, oh, wow, okay. 50s, like, oh, that's a problem. And then you go 60s, 70s, like, well, if they're going to do it, like, there's not this, that ship's sailed now, they're going to do it. Like, yeah, but look, yeah. not to joke about it. Yeah, I, no, but I didn't live it, but yeah. You should joke about it, yeah. All right, we've got friends and career left. Which okay. one do you want? Uh, oh, interesting. Um, oh, we'll go friends and then we'll save career for All the right. end. Friends. Did you make friends easy as a kid? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Um, Did you have a best friend all through primary school kind of thing or were you more of a floater around? I think I was a bit of a floater and I think I was also one of those kids who, and even as an adult and even, you know, probably to this day, I was one of those people that always had a couple of totally different groups of friends that that wouldn't get along with each other. Yep. You know, and then that that probably with the drug taking that became – a really extreme example of that because, you know, I'd be, you know, friends with artists and, you know, yep. performers and comedians and there's, you know, and people are always really surprised to hear there's very little or no heroin in the comedy community. People always think there's, you know, I'm good, when they ask me I'm going to go, oh, yeah, lots of people are in it. But yep. as far as I know, no one is, you know. No. And um, but, uh, yeah, it's a... You know, there's these two, yeah. So as a kid, yeah, definitely, you know, different groups of, of friends. Like there was always the um, the smart, ambitious, um, quite often from well-to-do families. Those, You know, I was friends with those kids and then but I was also friends with the real troublemakers and the naughty kids and, the, yeah. you know, the kids who, who smoked and drank and got you know, into naughty things. Were you a troublemaker? Yeah, but yeah. not um, – I was one – I was a troublemaker but – for some reason, uh, they forgave me. Now, I don't know, maybe it had something to do with my father. I don't know. I, I'm not sure about that. But they, you know, like I had a couple of friends at school who got chucked, you know, who got chucked out. And um, 
or, you know, told you won't be coming back next year and then they didn't, you know. Yeah. But, but I always did, you know. I, I always, you know, I got in trouble but I always, um, you know, came back. I got detentions and stuff like that but they maybe, I, you know, they thought I was smart or, yeah. you know, because I wasn't dumb, you know, I wasn't a moron. But, um, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was forgiven I guess. Yeah. Maybe that's why I just expected that would happen forever and ever in my well, life. Yeah, so you go to NIDA, so you yeah. move move cities. Did you know anyone in Sydney when you moved there? Um, no. No, I don't think I did. In fact, I don't think I'd ever been to Sydney. Um, I may have been there, you know, once yeah. with family or something driving through. I think I remember the bridge. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, did... Uh, the most significant things that happened after we finished school was had a year. I went to Perth and I hung around and just you know did odd jobs and stuff. Um, but a girlfriend of mine from school died in a car accident. I remember that really clearly. That was like whoa, the first person I knew who yeah. had uh, had died, and it was just I couldn't get my head around it for a long time. Uh, and then around that time, I also auditioned for NIDA and uh, and surprisingly got in. I wasn't expecting to get in. I was thinking I was under the impression you had to audition, that everyone had to audition at least once and they yeah. say no and they'd tell you to work on a couple of things and then you come back the next year and if you'd worked on those things they might say yes. So because of that I was very relaxed about it you yeah. know, and I was really cool about it. So had I thought I had a chance I would have fucked it up for sure yeah. and been really stiff and wooden. And, yeah. Um, so got in there and that was great but... Uh, unfortunately, six months before that, I'd started using heroin. So I got into that. I'd stopped using heroin by the time it started and my girlfriend and I moved to Sydney. She was the girlfriend I'd started yeah. using with. And after being in Sydney for a little while, we started yeah. again and then uh, we never stopped. And it was, um, you know, it was... I was obviously, well, not obviously, but I was the only person there who was doing that. And uh, it was a real shame. I, I blew it. I really blew that opportunity and it was a great opportunity. And, um, you know, some incredible teachers and I learned a lot, you know, just in the one year that I was there. Yeah. But, um, you know, they were they were quite, it was, it was kind of hideous because they were heartbroken Um that they sort of had to let me go and I could yeah. see it in there, you know, I could see it in the way I, I felt guilty, you know, I felt I felt like apologising to them, you know. But um, it was the first time I'd really, I think it was the first thing I'd ever really blown that I went, oh, this is bad. Yeah. I remember leaving NIDA that day on my motorbike that I had a little tiny, you know, scooter thing and uh, – Riding back to you know to meet up with my girlfriend and take heroin because uh, it's a painkiller and it would take away that pain. Um, but just thinking, oh, this isn't good, you know. And yeah. I I I guess I just thought it'd be all right, you know, that somehow it'd all work out, and it didn't. Yeah. But, um, but then after that, you know, I started just getting work as an actor and um, yeah, and did. did couple of years of that and you know working as an actor and working in you know as a waiter and stuff yeah and then uh after a couple of years a few years started stand up yep so you mentioned bob um oh, before yeah. and so this we were talking about friends so 
for those, Bob Franklin did a show based on you. It wasn't yeah. very complimentary at all. I didn't no, see it. No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, but uh, how, how was that dealing with one a friendship breakup, but also it being a one-sided publicly kind of it was, his view? It was uh, it was hideous. Um, I didn't realise how seriously people would take it. Yep. People, I mean, I think a lot of people uh, sided with him and went, you know, okay, yeah, fuck Philippe, you know, fuck him. Um, what it was about was uh, Bob had been going out with Ros Hammond for a number of years and um, she rang me up one day out of the blue and uh, they'd read my book. They'd both read my book and they both loved it and uh he sent me, ironically, he sent me an email that I still have, which is one of the most complimentary things I've ever read. Yeah. And then about a week later it was so different. But um, she and I started seeing each other. She basically said, all right, things with him are over and, you know, it's it's all gone to hell. And so we started seeing each other and then we moved in together. Yeah. And um, he didn't like it. Uh, but I thought, oh, well, you know, that's fair enough. It's happened to me before. It happened to me with, with Janie and Matt King. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought that's just what happens. Uh, but then he went around, you know, we, we lived together for that year and we moved to Perth and, you know, um, spent a lot of time away from Melbourne. But he went around saying to people, if you hire Greg Fleet, uh, I won't work for you, um, which was pretty extreme. Um, and he did that all over the place and a lot of people took him up on it. Yeah. Um, one of the only people who, well, there was a couple, Mooney stood by me and uh, Tony Martin, surprisingly. Um, Tony Martin, I think, because it had happened to him once before with a relationship he was in yeah. where he just said, what the fuck, are we are we high school children? What are we doing? You know, who, it's no one's business who you're romantically involved with. Yeah. And um, so thankfully Tony was, you know, Tony was and continues to be supportive of me uh, in that. But that also cost him then, you know. He he was persona non grata to a lot of people because yeah. he'd chosen to, to side with me. So and then Bob, uh, like a, weirdly, it was maybe a year and a half or two years later, Ros and I broke up. And so, you know, I thought, oh, well, that's that. You know, that's all over now. Yeah. Um, and then he did the show. He did a show that he'd been writing obviously for a long time and it was just the, I didn't see it but it was I asked somebody what it was like and they said it was like watching a really cute possum get run over repeatedly. <laughs> and he, um, he just did this show about just what an absolute hideous, you know, he, ironically he never once mentioned the fact that I was going out with his ex-girlfriend, yeah. he just said I was an asshole and just went to town about how hideous I am and how bad I am to women and what a bad person I am and what a liar I am and just went to town. And uh, I have never, um, I've never publicly said one negative thing about Bob and I, I pride myself on that because I actually really like him. And I've always really liked his work. I always yeah. liked what he did. And I always liked him as a person. And I also understand him, you know, kind of not liking me if I went out with his ex-girlfriend. But, you know, it wasn't a case of me stealing her away from him. That was the other thing. He, he talked about it when he did talk about it in terms of, you know, that I stole his girlfriend. And it, it's kind of it's funny that, you know, he said I, I'm a, I treat women badly. Because talking about it like that, it's like, 
Who else has no say? Yeah. It's like she's this, this, you know, in a, a princess in a tower waiting to see which of the men is going to yeah. win and end up with her. And if anyone who met Roz, she yeah, is she's absolutely totally not that. <laughs> not that at all. But um, I think they're friends again now. I don't know because she for some reason stopped talking to me because I treat women so badly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was really harsh and I always assumed that comedy was just my sort of fiefdom, that I could do whatever I wanted and, yeah. you know, that everyone would always like me and um, it changed, you know, the combination of of that and uh, taking drugs, I guess, and lying and... Uh, yeah, can I, in the book you talk about, you know, you get over the addiction but because you've been lying for so long, yeah. it's hard to break the habit of the lying as well. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. I do remember that That it was really hard to give up the lying. Yeah. I'd lie about stuff that had no reason to lie about. Yeah. wasn't even benefiting from it. Yeah. And also you're a very charismatic man as well. So I hope so. I would say that also like can get you out of a lot of stuff as yeah. well when but you're when, when you're young and yeah, yeah. when it stops it yeah really stops yeah I won't say the comic but there was a comic I uh, I'm friends with and he uh, had stopped doing it for like ten years and then came back to it and he was no longer young and charming he yeah. was now in that era of like oh this could be a creepy dad kind of yeah. like and he's trying to do the same bits that used to work yeah. and it just it doesn't work yeah once the charm goes it's yeah. very hard to to get it back. That's what I used to say to people because I, I, I've had similar experiences with people that I know and I've always said to people, never stop. Yeah. Because that's the other thing is once you stop, I had friends who um, and they don't do it anymore so it doesn't matter if I say their names but I won't. Um, but they, I can think of three, two or three or four people who did it, stopped for a while, like it took a year or two off to write a book or do whatever and came back and it just wasn't the same. And not only men, one's a woman, the yeah. other's a men. But um just didn't you know, they, they kind of looked like a, a kangaroo in the headlights of a car on stage they yeah. look confused like but when i've done this before it really works yeah and uh yeah it's 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 hideous to watch it's almost like oh my god you well, know, this it's is- like those men who have had that one jacket that when they used to wear in their 20s used to, <laughs> used to go well from they used to pick up at it it doesn't quite fit anymore um it's really strange isn't it that thing of of comedy you know like it, it becomes yeah you 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 know, you. I'd say if you are going to stop and start again, like just ditch all your material, start again, write new stuff yep. based on where you are in your life now because it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions I normally ask is have you had any friend breakups? Was it just a slow ghosting or was there an incident? But I think we've just we covered that with a bob. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's an interesting thing because with comedy and this is something that I've learned uh through this period of time, and it's not all just because of Bob, you know, like yeah. there's all sorts of stuff involved, but um, because I also chose to go away with Roz to Perth for a long time and I was away, I was out of things for a while and then, you know, life just sort of goes on without yeah. you. And um, people, because comedy is, you know, it's about ambition and it's about your career and moving forward and all that kind of stuff, people don't, you know, sit around and worry about you and go, you know, all right, we've got to, you know, get get Fleety back on track and yeah. get everything. I mean, maybe if you were, you know, about to die or something, they would, but um, everyone just gets on with their life. And so it's often hard to work out who are your friends and who are just people you work with. Yeah. You know, because what is a friend? What? How does that actually, you know, there are people in comedy that I kind of thought were my friends that I realised later 
weren't. And, you know, they probably realised the same thing about me, you know, that, that you know, they're, they're just people you work with. And yeah. they're, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different thing. But, you know, there are people, you know, like I said, like Lawrence and, um, and Tony Martin and people, you know, and I've got a lot of, a lot of friends who are women, strangely. I don't know why that's strange. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, the way I, I treat them. I, I think if you, uh, when I look at, I, I asked this of Marie when she was on. I said, how many people do you reckon you'd drive to the airport if they asked to how many people you'd be willing to ask, can you drive into the airport? And I think we're all like, oh, I'd drive more people than I'd ask people. And so sometimes I feel when people need help, we don't ask for the help from the people who probably would help us if we asked. See, I reckon, <laughs> I don't know what this says about me as a person, but I think I would ask more people than I would offer. You would offer? But then again, I don't really drive. No. <laughs> I mean, I can, but I let my but license yeah. expire and, you know, I'm not renowned for driving. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, that's an interesting thing. I love Marie. She's a great person. Fantastic. She did oh. a great thing for me. She wrote a part for me in a TV show. Oh. And then I, you know, used enough heroin to make it really difficult. Oh. Career. Let's talk about it. Okay. Okay. So... Comedian, author, actor. Riverboat dandy. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good to be, you know, when you, you sometimes, you know, it's easy to think, oh, God, it's, you know, nothing's working, everything's going nowhere. And I know you've had moments in your career. I remember this this actor I worked with on Flying Doctors once. He was a kind of established actor saying, and I've, I've stolen this from him a lot. He said, he said, well, when I, you know, when I look back at my... <laughs> What I laughingly refer to as my career, I uh, and I just always love that. Song, yeah. What I laughingly refer to as my career, but I know you've had moments, you know, where you've you've found it almost unbearable, you know. And yes. It's just piled up, and I've had the same. Yeah. Um. Uh. But it's uh, it's a. What what was the last? I'm just totally at a blank. Then what were we talking about? Well, just like I just mentioned, uh, author. Oh yeah, writer, yeah. actor. Um, yeah, you, you can you can easily go. You know, nothing's working. I'm going nowhere. I'm a failure. You know, yeah. but if you actually sometimes you stop and look at what you've done and actually, you know, you look at it and you go, I've actually done a lot. Yeah, you know, I've actually got nothing. You know, and and you know, if I if I made an effort, I could you know, do whatever. It's not, nothing's over, nothing's nah. finished, you know, and, and quite often it's, you know, things don't happen because I'm so used to just waiting for things to happen instead yep. of trying to make them happen. Is that why you started stand-up as well? Because it was like a way to get on stage and make it happen? Um, I guess. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I was, you know, acting already and um, I was doing theatre sports and through doing theatre sports I met all these comedians and yep. I'd never, never seen stand-up. Um, but they kept saying to me I should do it. Yep. And so I eventually did and um, was astounded how easy it was. You know, like not easy but it was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Yep. You know, I thought it would be hell yep. and there'd be people just screaming at me, just, you're terrible, get off, you're a failure and your dad didn't love you. <laughs> and you've been doing it in the wave. So so the Prince Pat SB days where yeah. it seemed to be like, well, listening to people talk about it was like this kind of boom in yeah. in Melbourne. And then in the, what, mid-90s to even mid-2000s, it kind of, there wasn't that many gigs in Melbourne no. that were available. How how do you, like, were there any moments in that where you're like, oh, comedy's, comedy's gone now or was it you're constantly working? 
I think I always realised that it, it would stop somewhere and it'd start somewhere else. So, yeah. like, usually, you know, if it was if it was dying here, it'd be kicking off in Sydney, or you know, yeah. it'd be, or you know, or there was always London was huge, you know. So, and I was usually going over to the UK every year for a while because yeah. I was doing Edinburgh, and uh, so I'd you know do a bit over there. So it always seemed like there was something happening, but. It was kind of an accident for me. It wasn't something I particularly wanted to do. It was like, you know, a friend said I should do it, so I tried it and went, oh, this is pretty good. And then I started getting paid and I went, well, this is better than being a waiter. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just kind of – it just accidentally kind of became what I did. And it wasn't – you know, I, w- I was never like, you know, I want to be the greatest stand-up in the world. And yeah. In hindsight, I was never actually a stand-up. I was kind of a storyteller. Yeah. And, uh, you know – I look at stand-up and that's why I don't really like doing stand-up rooms anymore. I prefer doing my own thing in a room anywhere. Like, you know, just hopefully I'm going to start doing my own nights. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'll tie the podcast into that. But start doing my own nights where people come along and I'll have guests on, you know, sometimes they'll be comedians but more often not they'll probably be musicians or sportsmen or politicians or, you know, just interesting people, you know, because I'm more interested in things that are interesting than things that are hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what is the other thing? So, did you, when you started out, no, you know how people talk about five year plan, ten year plan, twenty yeah. year plan. Was there a, a dream that what you wanted to be? Not really. No. Uh, it. It. Um, you know. It was. It, it. There was. I remember thinking. You know. I'll keep doing this until one year is not as good as the last year. Yeah. You because know, yep. every year got seemed to get better. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if I was, but to be honest, I'd have to say in the last ten years, there's been a lot of years that were not better than you know but you know there you know there was so first time going overseas yeah first time you know doing edinburgh first time like winning an award or getting nominated for an award or you know all these things you know like you know meeting you know working with celebrities i remember we did you know a gig in london that stephen fry hosted you know it's just stuff like that where you're just like this is crazy you know i never intended for this to happen and it's just just rolling you know getting to all these these amazing things and uh so yeah it was always just you know, it was, it was a, a really. I always felt really fortunate to yeah. be doing it, and, and I that, always wanted to act as well. With that, when you're right. like, so it peaks and then drops off. What's mm. the motivation once you know it's because I, I I've experienced the same thing. Yeah. It's kind of like I've had festival runs where it's been 250 people every night for like a month, and then yeah. and then whatever it is. Yeah, well, it's hard afterwards. That's why you know it's always hard after a festival because you get used to work. A, you get used to working every night which you don't do the rest of the year. No. And also you get used to working every night to lots of people. Yeah. You know, so and, and they're all there to see you. Yeah. You know, you, you, the rest of the year you may do gigs where people go, oh, fuck, it's you. Yeah. You know, whereas in the festival they're, they're going, oh, great, it's you. Yeah. But um, uh, and also, you know, you hosted a TV show. So in a really weird way, I mean, I think I remember while you were doing that, me, me even thinking, shit, there's only down from here. Because, you know, that's that's true. Yeah. You know, unless you continue to do that, which is hard to do, you're going to have to get used to going down and up and down and up. Yeah. Know? So, I, look, for me it's putting my ego aside and being motivated by the actual work. Of yeah. what, what, and that's yeah. where I'm at well, in that's, this position. That's great. And, I mean, you've got to, you know, I, I can honestly say people that I know who some of whom don't even know you uh, – You've got a very good reputation as a, you know, I mean, you're funny, of course, but um, also just as, you know, your motivations and your, you know, people seem to really admire your 
your work ethic and your you know that you're you're always coming up with a new idea or an interesting thing and you know, I think people really like that so thanks my friend Judy is a big fan of yours thank you Judy <laughs> uh, all right so that's the end okay now we're going to do now is you, you tell me which ones you're keeping on or which ones you're turning off so out of family health oh friends career which ones right now today's date is the 21st of, oh the 20th of December uh Tomorrow I'll do a tweet about Paul Kelly's song, How to Make Gravy. But uh, right now, Greg Fleet, 20th of December, which ones are you keeping on? Well, I didn't talk about uh, relationship as in I'm in a relationship now and we also work together, which is great. She's a filmmaker. So so I would certainly keep work uh, but I'd also – it's hard because I – I'd sort of include her. So would that be friendship? I'd say friendships, yeah. We'll just go okay. friendship well, those relationships. Two. Those yep. two. And so what am I living at? Health? Health and, and family. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, family. And uh, But they might be, they might, you don't need to concentrate on family. They might yeah. be fine on their own. Yeah, and I think health is, my, my girlfriend is worried about how much sugary drinks I drink. And I, I, I mean, I, I understand and I go, yeah, no, I'm, I'll keep a, a lid on that. But I, I kind of think. Well, if that's the worst, yeah. you know, that's pretty good that's for the fleet good. man. You know, I'm worried about Fleety. Why? He had a can of Coke. <laughs> he had a kilo of Coke last year. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for doing this. It's actually no, been man, amazing. I've, I've, thank you for having me. Like I, I was getting to a point, I, was, I think I told you this before the show, I was like, he said, oh, you know, would you mind coming and doing this podcast? I had to stop myself from going, oh, somebody cares. Somebody wants to ask me something. So, no, I'm really happy to do it. Uh, you mentioned before the podcast. For this podcast, you're about to launch your own podcast. I hope so, yeah. 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 I want to do one uh, um, about addiction. Yep. And and because obviously I know about it, but uh, have a different guest on each week who has been either an addict or I know this doctor who's one of the, you know, an addiction specialist. I I know some cops who'd be really good to have on, uh, you know, talking about what it's like for them, you know, whether they want to, you know, arrest these people or not, you know, all that kind of stuff, legalisation issues, Um, but also not just drugs and alcohol but, you know, plastic surgery, people who are addicted to games we were talking about, people who are our children. Children on YouTube. Yeah. you know, and all the all the different things that people are addicted to these days. It's phenomenal. You know, some of them you just you can't even imagine, you know, like, you know, if you just Google addictions and start looking at, you know, all the different I, – I, I suddenly went, God, I could have a different person every week for a year. Yeah. You know, easily, a different addiction. Yeah. You know, there's be at least 50. Great. Um, also, uh, Greg's got a bunch of books out. So The Good Hell Son yeah. is your novel. You've got uh, what's yeah. what's the memoir? Uh, that's called These Things Happen. These but things I happen. think you, it's I think it's hard to get that as a as a, hard, a hardback. Well, you can get it um, as what do you call yeah. it? An e-book. E-book. That's easy to get. Um, and we're also we're making a film out of The Good Son. Oh, great! And uh, and. I've got a working on another book, which I haven't got a name for yet, and uh, I think it's going to be called It Used to Be a Bookshop, but that's a weird name. But um, And also, yeah, my partner and I, Philippa, Philippa Bateman, we're working on two film ideas. So uh, hopefully that's going to be what I do is write films and books. Brilliant. Uh, thank you for doing this. Hey, thanks everyone for downloading this episode or watching it on YouTube. Hey, if you're in Melbourne, tickets. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting we were visible. I wonder if right I, here. Did I pick my nose. You, or anything? Be, no, no. Okay, good. No. You would have worn. I'll, I'll, I'll edit that out anyway. <laughs> if you did. Uh, tickets are on sale for my comedy festival show for next year. The show is called Four Burners, where I'll talk about my own four burners. No guest. It will be funny. There'll be lots of jokes in it. Don't worry, I've been writing it. And uh, so it's tickets are on sale. Go to joshhell.com.au for all the details. 
Thank and you, Greg. You're doing it in a different venue. I'm doing it Tasma Terrace, so Which it's is in East Melbourne. It's in East Melbourne, just opposite Parliament Station there. So it's oh, yeah. nice that's, and that's hardly East Melbourne. That's just no, Melbourne, yeah, really. it's Melbourne, and uh, it's a nice little. So the venue is a heritage listed venue, and it's right. a very nice little room. So you'll feel very special walking it's in. It's a great. I used to. Yeah. It was the first place I lived out of school was in East Melbourne. Oh, cool. I loved it. Yep. Anyway, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Thanks, Gary. Bye.